Welcome to Ohio Matters. I'm Seth Richardson. And I'm Andrew Tobias. And this is a special bonus podcast uh, from the interview that we did with Jerry Austin. Uh, We did a full-length interview with him, but we got into so much that we couldn't all fit it into a single episode. So we wanted to make sure that you guys got to hear this part that I found fascinating. Andrew, I think you found it fascinating as well. He talks about his time kind of overseeing elections um, with dictators. Yeah, Jerry Austin's a Democratic political consultant, in case you didn't hear the other episode, and he's literally seen it all. He did uh, mayor's races, he did governor's races, he did presidential races, and he even went into some third world countries and, and saw kind of like, I don't know what you call them, like like faux, like semi-democracies. You know, he, he told a story about how maybe in a place like the Philippines, the ballots one plus one equals, you know, a hundred or whatever. I don't know <laughs> what exactly the, the factor would be, but yeah. So take a listen. He talks about his time overseeing elections in the Philippines and Chile. And uh, we talked to him a little more about that. Just wanted to make sure you got a chance to hear it before we go. Special thanks always to the Cleveland Public Library for giving us the space. And now let's listen to this bonus episode of Ohio Matters. You also had a front seat, uh, front row seat to the downfall of a couple of dictators, right? When you were observing elections and whatnot, uh, Chile and um, there were a couple others, weren't there? Philippines. Philippines, yeah. I mean, what wh- what is that like being part of an international delegation, kind of s- over, you know, seeing that? Well, for, first of all, it's a, it's a sort of a great honor to even be invited to do that, um, and uh, and so the first one I was invited to do was uh, was the Philippines, which was the famous Marcos Aquino election. And um, I was part of an international delegation, which included people from all over the world. And um, we got to Manila, and we were assigned um, a, uh, a partner. And my, my partner was a speaker of the house in Guinea, uh, country in Africa. And uh, I was assigned to uh, Marcos's home area which was, if you look at a map of uh, the Philippines, just go straight up north, and the northernmost province is called the Locos Norte, which is his home area. And uh, my partner and I got on a Philippine Airlines plane, prop plane, to go up to this area. Uh, and, you know, I've, I'd never experienced having animals in the cabin, but there were animals in the cabin going up there. And I finally land, and I have somebody pick me up, and as we're going into town, I see this billboard, a huge billboard, and it's and this is 1985, so the previous election was 81. And the billboard said, Ilocos Norte provided Ferdinand Marcos 100% of the vote in 1981. Let's do better this time. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a math major. Yeah. But, uh, and I'm thinking, <laughs> uh, wow. So I get, I get into town, and part of the job uh, is to go and introduce yourself to all the contending, um, you know, uh, candidate operations. So I went to see the Marcos people, the Aquino people. I went to see the people conducting the election. And really hot uh, in the Philippines at that time. And I said, where, you know, where do you get a beer in this town? Because I I knew that in, in third world countries, you never drink the water, but the beer is really, you know, first rate. So they said, we don't have any refrigeration. And the only one it does is is the um, is the Monsignor. Uh, so where does he live? And they told me. I so went and knocked on the Monsignor's door. He opened the door and introduced myself, invited me in. Of course, he had refrigeration. We sitting there drinking uh, San Miguel beer. And I told him what I was doing there. And he said, well, why don't you come tomorrow and observe uh, myself and my 
colleagues voting. I said, okay. I found out where he was voting and showed up at the polling place and saw something I'd never seen before, a tank uh, in front of the polling place, uh, which was Marcos's way of intimidating people by having you know, a, a tank in front of this polling place. And so I introduced myself to the presiding judge, and, um, and he said, well, feel free to you know, ask questions or um, you know, watch what we're doing. And so the Monsignor came in with six other priests, all dressed, dressed in full priest regalia, uh, no doubt that they were priests, and they asked me to watch them vote. And uh, you voted then by writing in the name. There was no ballot. And they all wrote in Aquino and put in the ballot box. So I, I went and, and visited other polling places and, and was invited back to that initial polling place. Uh, the presiding judge wanted me to break the seal on uh, the, the ballot box and observe them counting the ballots. So I broke the seal. And they counted out 179 votes for Marcos, zero for Aquino. And I said, excuse me, uh, I just I saw the Monsignor and six of his colleagues write in Aquino. And this guy said to me, sir, you, you broke the seal, yes. And you watched us count out the ballots, yes. Did you see any votes for Aquino in there? I said, no. Uh, and we were told never to interfere with the election, just to observe, but... I said, well, all of the ballots for Marcos was in the exact same handwriting. And the guy didn't even blink. He said, well, of course, because our, our, our voters here are illiterate, so when they come in, they tell us who they want to vote for, and we write in the name of that. Well, I reported back what happened there as this was going on all over the country, and all hell broke loose and led to the, you know, the, the revolution and, and all that, and, and Marco, Marcos left. Uh, the second one I did was in 88, which was, was called the Pinochet plebiscite. Uh, Pinochet uh, was a dictator who had ruled in Chile after Allende, who was a um, uh, democratically elected president, was assassinated. And um, for some reason, uh, Pinochet was convinced to have a referendum uh, which had one issue, which was that the president of the country could also be the uh, commander-in-chief of the armed forces, which he was. And I don't know why he did this, but so the vote was either yes or no. Yes, he should be, or no, he shouldn't be. Well, a, a problem presented itself because people had not voted in this country in 14 years. So there were people who remembered voting and a lot of people who never voted at all. So they spent a year registering people to vote, and they registered something like 99% of the people. So again, an international delegation was invited in, and I came to Santiago, Chile, and one of the things about, about um, elections in, in many of these countries is that they have what they call a cooling-off period. And 48 hours before the election, let's say the election was on a Tuesday, uh, which normally it's not, usually in, the, in most countries it's on a weekend, uh, 48 hours before all electionary stops. So signs come down, the last rallies take place, no TV spots, nothing. And you wouldn't even know an election was happening. And it's called the calling, calling off period. So we got to Santiago and we saw the last, you know, uh, demonstration, a million people outside the hotel um, in a rally for the, for the no side, the anti-plenership side. So the election day comes and I'm assigned to Santiago. And the first place I go to is the soccer stadium where Allende was assassinated. And there are uh, uh, supposed to be 30,000 people to vote at this soccer stadium. I get there about 11, 11.30, and nobody there. 
and it looks like they're breaking down whatever was set up. And I asked, what's going on? He said, everybody voted. What do you mean everybody voted? 100% of the people turned out and voted by 1130. Uh, now, remember, they're only voting yes or no, so it's not an extended kind of ballot. So we went on to other places, and I saw um, military people at these polling places as well, but they were there for crowd control. They weren't there to intimidate anybody because people were lined up, and you noticed that they were in their their Sunday best, you know, uh, uh, men were in you know suits and ties. Women were in you know like they were going out to to a, to a special event because they never experienced voting. This was something they never experienced in their life. And when we were finished voting, they came across the street and stood there and watched this this event they'd never seen before. And one of the things about about that race, which was uh, really important, uh, is that. Both sides of uh, the issue were granted 30 minutes of TV time, free TV time. They only, you couldn't buy time. 30 minutes of free TV time. The TV time could only be used between 11 at night and midnight. And you can use it any way you wanted. You want to do 30-second spots, you want to do minute spots, you want to do a half an hour. So the anti-Pinochet side comes on with a TV spot, a 30-second spot, may have been longer, reminding people that when Pinochet took over, Several thousands young men disappeared, never to be seen again. And so they, they did a spot with the mothers of these young men on the screen reminding people. And they had polling, very sophisticated, they had polling, and, and it showed that this spot didn't move the dial because the majority of people who were going to be voting didn't even remember that. They weren't alive at the time. It wasn't that important to them. And so here's the spot that, 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 that won the election. It opens up with uh, a street, and you can see on the street that there's a car, one car on the street, and, and there's no voiceover, and the, the camera uh, does a close-up, and there's a, there's a street light, and there's a young couple sitting in a Volkswagen bug. And the young man puts his arm around the young woman and places it on her breast. And she goes, no, vote no on the plebiscite. So they took an image, a no image, and instead of not saying, vote no because we don't want you know, Pinochet to be this and this and this, they just, they just took the image of putting a hand on a breast and the woman saying no, and it won the election. Uh, it was brilliant. Uh, and so I, I, I came back from, from Chile, and I remember uh, I was living in Columbus and being interviewed by you know, a reporter from Dispatch and saying, what did you learn about, about this election? I said, what I learned is that, that we in the United States need to be occupied by a foreign country or have a dictator because that's the only way we can appreciate what we have when it's taken away from us because nobody in this country you know, ever remembers that, that they were denied the right to vote. As a matter of fact, if we have the right to vote in the United States, we have the right not to vote. Uh, and certainly this last election of 2016 showed a lot of people chose the right not to vote. Yeah, and a lot of Democrats actually compare Donald Trump to a dictator, and you know that it seems like hyperbole a lot of the time. Uh, I mean, I'm wondering what you think about it. Well, I, I think that that you know, based on his background of of being a businessman who basically uh, operated by my way or the highway, uh, he's he's had that same kind of attitude of being president. Yes, he got he had to get elected, uh, you know, by the by the the rules. But once he became president, he said, hey. You know, uh, all this stuff doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I'm in charge. I got elected. Uh, I don't care about the legislative process. I'll do what I want. And that's what he does. And so the question arises, 
why do these Republicans let him get away with this type of stuff, which they know is absolutely crazy? Uh, and that's because they made a deal. And the deal is, you give us our, our, our uh, you know, tax cuts, and we'll give you everything you want. And that's what's happening. You don't see them you know, say anything about some of the outrageous appointments he's made uh, about what's going on right now you know, with, with firing this guy and replacing with that guy. And, and everybody knows this guy Bolton's a, a nutcase, but you don't hear everybody saying anything about it. Uh, and I think that that's, that's the deal he made because he's a deal maker, right? So he said, okay, what do you want? And I can get you and you give me everything I want. But he, you know, for, from his uh, businessman background, uh, he's a dictator. And, uh, and he, uh, that's why he loves, he loves this Kim Jong-un guy because he's a dictator. He likes Putin. Uh, he likes the guy in China. He likes them all. Uh, yeah, you're going to be president for life. Terrific. I, I'd like to do that here too. And that, you know, and that's, uh, and that's who he is. 